Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hope that you are experiencing just a bit of that joy this Easter as we gather together online. Thank you for joining us and being a part of this time. I wanted to just take a moment with you and maybe do a little bit of housekeeping and kind of give you an update on what's been happening here in the upper room these last few weeks. As some of you know, if you've been following us these few weeks, our our little congregation has been meeting right here in the upper room week after week. And from that first time we met together, I, I told you that I thought the penguin was just a little bit of trouble. I could just tell there was something that wasn't just quite right. And sure enough, the next Sunday, he showed up like this. Well, the Bible is clear. Every once in a while, the church has to practice what is called church discipline. Now, that's not something we like to do, but the scripture says it's clear, remove the evil one from among you. Now, again, we aren't uh, liking, uh, we don't like to do that, but sometimes it's just necessary. Well, the penguin got his feathers ruffled a little bit. And by the way, don't let the Care Bear uh, fool you. He's become one of our best bouncers. I, I think it's his spiritual gift. But, but this Easter, it's a day of miracles. Church discipline is about, of course, giving a person the opportunity to see the error of their ways. And I'm very happy to report this morning, our penguin has now had a change of heart. I think we can be friends. Well, let's, let's open the word together, shall we? I want to read a couple of passages from Scripture. As you've been with us, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, and I want to just take two short verses from Hebrews and then go into Luke 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 24, but I want to read two verses from Hebrews. The first one is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And Hebrews 12, 25 says this, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Also in Luke 24, I want to read this passage, which is probably one of my favorite passages regarding the resurrection. Beginning with verse 13, Luke 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they just talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this all has taken place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. 
They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. May God add his blessing to his word. Two men, weighed heavily by the dashing of dreams, are headed home. The birds, they may have been singing, the sun had risen over the horizon, but, but these men were grieving, distraught, and bewildered. These disciples were probably not of the twelve, they were most likely part of the seventy, a larger band of people who had followed Jesus faithfully throughout his ministry. They were connected by their faith in Jesus, their love for God, their determination to make this world better. But now, Jesus is dead. Their, their expectations are shattered. So when Jesus died, they lost not only their faith in Jesus, they lost their community. Their connection to God was gone. Their connection to each other was gone too. And so they are leaving the other disciples. Why bother? It's time to go home and get on with our lives. Now, I want to stop right there and make this observation. That morning in history, when Jesus rose, there was no expectation of a resurrection. We're told that a few disciples huddled together afraid of what would happen to them. A few broken, compassionate women had made their way to the tomb, not because they thought he was alive, but to care for his lifeless body. But these two men, they left the city altogether. You see, that first Easter morning, there was no fanfare. There was no countdown clock, no drum roll of anticipation. No spotlight on the tomb. No churches were gathering for songs of triumph. No bells were ringing. There was nothing. And so these men thought it just best to go home. You see, when the world changed, nobody knew it. In Jerusalem, that morning, they were getting up, started breakfast, heading to work. When the world changed, nobody knew it. Truth is, for you, wherever you are right now, you may be sitting at home, and the truth is, your day is like every other day. 
especially this day. If, if you are self-containing or self-isolating, if you are, are disconnected, maybe you're disappointed. But when the world changed, nobody knew it. Not yet. One, one Easter morning, the preacher gathered the children of the church to the front of the sanctuary to, to give them the children's sermon. He began with an important question. He said, children, today is Easter Sunday. Why and what do we celebrate on Easter? One girl spoke up right away. We, well, we tell our mothers how much we love them, she said. The pastor said, now, that's wonderful, but that's not quite right. I think you're thinking of Mother's Day. Then an, another eager boy took a shot. He said, Easter is a time when we say thank you to God for all the things that he has given us. The pastor again said, well, that's wonderful. We can always and should always thank God. But I think you're thinking of Thanksgiving, not Easter. Children, what is the meaning of Easter? Well, after a few seconds of awkward silence, a little girl dressed in her Easter best stood up and she said, I'll give it a try. I think Easter is a day when we remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a tomb. But on Easter morning, God rolled the stone away and Jesus came out of the tomb. The pastor relieved said, excellent. But the girl continued. Jesus looked and saw his shadow. And so he went back into the tomb and it would be six more weeks of winter. On that first Easter, the world had changed and nobody knew it. These two men didn't know it. And so they leave a community. They are disconnected. They're headed home to Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. On the way, they're talking about all the things that had happened. They're talking about the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And I'm sure they're trying to make sense of it all. Verse 15 tells us, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. I don't know about you, but suddenly this passage takes on a, a different significance to me as I read it. You notice here that Jesus is not practicing social distancing. Notice how Jesus comes right up alongside of them and begins to converse with them. He interrupts their conversation. I don't know about you, but do you find yourself when you're watching a, a TV commercial and you're seeing a crowd of people on that commercial and they're hugging and they're celebrating, they're all around each other, I almost just recoil and say, they're not doing it right. Hold on. Remember those days? Remember when you could come up to someone and draw close and begin a conversation? Remember restaurants? Remember hugging and shaking hands? Those were good times. It's funny to me what we, what we miss. It's funny to me what we have learned to appreciate. Well, Jesus, out of the blue, inserts himself into this conversation. But the Bible says they were kept from recognizing him. Another version says their eyes were restrained. So somehow, God kept them from realizing or recognizing that Jesus was walking beside them. The very person that they had listened to preach dozens, if not hundreds of times, 
the very person they had seen miracles upon miracles perform, and they didn't know he was right there. This morning, I think maybe something else was going on too. I think that maybe discouragement kept them from seeing Jesus. The Bible goes on to say that their faces were downcast. And it occurs to me, you know, when your eyes are looking downward, they're not looking up. And when you're not looking up, you miss a whole lot. Listen, this morning, I want you to know that our vision can get very blurry when our hope is buried. Our vision can get very blurry when our hope is buried. At verse 17, it says, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In other words, don't you know what's going on? And and I love Jesus here. He says, what things, he asks. I love the fact that Jesus has a sense of humor. Jesus is free. (laughs) He's alive. He's having fun. You know, when you are sure that death has been conquered, when you're sure that the price of sin has been paid for, when you are sure that you're in right standing with God the Father, when you are sure that you have accomplished God's perfect will for your life, Listen, friend, you can have fun. You don't have to worry about anything. Jesus says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Again, these men are distraught. They're disappointed. They're disillusioned. Just days before, they had gone into Jerusalem, and they thought that when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he was going to establish a new type of kingdom. Jerusalem had given him a hero's welcome. You recall on Palm Sunday, there Jesus enters into the city, and people were shouting, Hosanna, Lord, save us, they cried out, putting the palm branches and their cloaks before him on the ground. But the religious leaders had turned the tide through their deception, and suddenly everything changed. They say to Jesus, they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, isn't that interesting? They expected a a political coup. They they were hoping for an economic revolution. They said they wanted Jesus to redeem Israel. And yet, isn't it interesting? Jesus, by dying on the cross, did exactly what they wanted, just not how they anticipated. He, in fact, did redeem Israel. They just didn't know it. By dying on the cross, he gave them and everyone who would believe life. You see, with Jesus, he would rather his people be temporarily oppressed rather than eternally lost. Listen, friend, this morning, you're listening. Sometimes Jesus doesn't do what we think he should do. 
but he always does what is best for us. He redeemed Israel. And I know that as we face this pandemic, this virus, I believe that God is up to something in our nation. I don't know what it is. I don't like it. But God wants to do something in people's lives today. Maybe, maybe so many have been hoping in the wrong thing. Listen, God wants to redeem people listening to this message. He wants them to understand how fragile life can be. The, the impact of sin in our world. In fact, it occurs to me that this virus is really but a parable. In the Bible, one man dis- disobeyed God and sin entered the world and we've all been infected. And we all face the curse of death because of it. A few months ago, on the other side of the world, one person did something. We're told maybe they ate a bat from a market. Maybe they stepped out of a terrible lab and were not careful. We don't know exactly, but we do know that one person did something on the other side of the world and the whole world has changed. And also we know this. 2,000 years ago, one person on the other side of the world died on a cross, stepped out of his own tomb, and our world has never been the same. The curse of sin and death is broken. And Jesus says to everyone, follow me. Listen, I know that there are a lot of disappointed people today. We have young people, seniors, who won't graduate with all the pomp and circumstance that they imagined. There aren't going to be proms this season. I've heard of weddings postponed. No baseball. People have lost their jobs. But maybe God has something better. These disciples, they said they had hoped. It was past tense. Their hope was gone. I had hoped by this resurrection Sunday that we would be together. I had hoped that the church would be full and we'd be singing and shouting, He is risen! He is risen indeed. But maybe God has something better. Maybe God is using this time to help us realize our lives are fragile. Our world is fragile. That maybe we've been putting our hope in things that don't last, that can be shaken. That there is one thing, one person, should I say, who can build, who we can build the foundations of our lives upon. And by the way, it's not your job. It's not your education. It's not your political party. It's not even you. It's Jesus Christ. Maybe God is reminding us this morning, he is in control. And maybe, maybe he is better than our hopes. On the cross, he redeemed Israel. And on the cross, he offers to redeem you. Jesus moves this conversation along in a new direction. He says in verse 25, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I I love this verse. I think it's so unique. Jesus knows that a disappointment, that our disappointment is often caused uh, dashed expectations, but disappointment is cured by, by widening your perspective. And so you know what Jesus did? He did the very thing that you would have done if your child was frightened and they couldn't sleep at night. You tell them a story. And that's what Jesus did. Only this wasn't just any story. This was a story of God's love for humanity and the world. And the Bible tells us that Jesus began with Moses. And maybe Jesus described the plagues of Egypt and how God instructed Israel to sacrifice a Passover lamb so that the plague of death would not touch them. And when they took the blood and put it over their door frames, they were protected and sealed as the people of God. Maybe he showed them that he was the Passover lamb. Maybe Jesus took them to the Psalms. I think of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a graphic depiction of the crucifixion. It it, it is from the vantage point of the one being crucified, what they see, what that person sees from the cross. It talks about people gambling and dividing his garments. It talks about all that he went through. Now what's amazing to me is, is that David wrote that psalm before crucifixion had ever been invented. It was decades before there had ever been a public crucifixion as a form of execution. Perhaps, maybe as Jesus shared, he took them to Emmaus and he talked about Isaiah chapter 53. And he pointed out where the prophet declared he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. And so Jesus takes him through the Old Testament, and he tells them the story, God's story of his love. And he says, guys, God is still on the throne. God is still in control. And sometimes, maybe most especially today, we need to be reminded of that. The despair is never the last word in any story that God writes. Now, these men still don't know who they're with. They still don't know this is Jesus. The two men are at their destination. Jesus acts like he must move on. But they are so captivated by this stranger, they say to him, please stay with us. Come inside. And of course, Jesus goes in with them and there's, a really good takeaway there for us, when, when you invite Jesus to, to stay, when you invite Jesus to come in, he will always say yes. Don't you forget that. You're at home this morning, but you can invite Jesus in. He will always say yes. If you look at verse 31, it says, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, 
And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. (laughs) This is an amazing moment, of course. They've been with him. They've been face-to-face talking with him. But in this moment, their eyes are fixed, and they see him. David Copperfield is a name that you probably recognize. He was a world-renowned magician. One time he was in a standing room crowd only. He had performed one of his unbelievable illusions. The crowd, of course, broke into wild applause. Everyone was dumbfounded. But as the applause began to subside, a woman in the balcony shouted out and said, Tell us how you did that. Well, Copperfield said, Ma'am, if I told you, I would have to kill you. And she said, Okay, well, then tell my husband. Now, notice when they recognized him in the breaking of bread. Maybe it was during the prayer and the way he prayed. Maybe it was the way he broke the bread. But as I've thought about that moment, I've always seen it as such as he broke the bread and as he shared it with them, I wonder if they didn't see the palms of his hands, those nail-pierced hands, and they recognized the fresh wounds of Calvary. Of course, Jesus vanishes. Remember, (laughs) he's having fun. But look at what they say. They say, were not our hearts burning while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, he is often there when we don't realize it, but he's still speaking. This morning I opened with two passages from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3 7 says, Hebrews 3 7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 12 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Friend, on this Easter morning, is God speaking to you? You may not see him. You may have been disappointed in some things, but in your heart of hearts, you know that he is speaking to you today. And you need to let him. You need to let him reveal in you his desire to save you from your sin and give you eternal life. When so many of us are disconnected by what is going on in our culture and society today, this is a wonderful day to get connected to Jesus, who always says yes when we invite him in. He has been there for you the whole time. You are connected by his love, and he's speaking to you right now. Did you notice what these men do? These men race back to Jerusalem. They race back to community. They race back to the disciples. Why? Because they wanted their friends to know he's alive. He's alive. I want to just finish this morning by reading a a short letter I received this week from Tony Fenimore in our church. By the way, I want to say thank you to so many of you who have reached out to me. We have been humbled and blessed by, by you, even as I'm trying to reach out to you. Thank you for your confidence and your encouragement. We love you very much. I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. 
But this is what Tony wrote to me earlier this week. She said, hi, Pastor Jeff. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you that I am extremely grateful for the efforts that you and the NOEFC staff have made to reach people regardless of the restrictions that you have. It is clear that the church has been mindful and intentional to reach people, and sometimes when we make efforts, we never get a chance to see if they have positively affected people. Well, today, I missed a call from Myra Roach. She had left a message to see if I needed anything and to check in. I happened to not need anything, but it made me feel cared about, and it made me feel like I did. if I did need something, I was welcome to reach out. I was incredibly grateful that she took the time to call. And all I could think of was that there are so many people that would be receiving a similar phone call from her and other elders that probably needed that call desperately. And they would feel loved and cared for. It made me feel very grateful for our church. But this evening, Asher, that is her three-year-old son, started to cry and told me he was sad that Grandma Loretta died. Tim, my husband, overheard and came into the room and said, Asher, do you know that Grandma is with Jesus? Asher stopped crying. He smiled and he leaned forward and whispered, Jesus is alive. I said, where did you, where did you learn that? He said, from the card I got in the mail. At that time, I did not know that Wendy Getz had sent him a card that read, Jesus is alive. But Asher knew, and it brought him comfort. And in this time of complete uncertainty, whispered from my three-year-old's mouth, it most certainly brought me comfort too. This morning... Are you feeling disconnected? This morning, are you feeling a bit of hopelessness? Jesus is alive. He is waiting for you to invite him in. He wants to be your Savior, your Lord. And this morning, you can be free from the infection and curse of sin and death and Know that you know that you know that you are forever connected to God as his child through what Christ has done for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said during the turmoil of Nazism in his country, he said, may God in his mercy lead us through these times. But above all, may he lead us to himself. That is my prayer. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Lord, how we celebrate and are comforted by this truth that Jesus is alive. Thank you, Lord, that you are speaking that truth into our hearts this morning. Sometimes you use a three-year-old. Sometimes you use something foolish like a pastor. Sometimes it's just through the, the word of your Holy Spirit burning within our hearts as we open the scriptures. But Lord, speak that truth to our lives and may we submit to it 
that no matter how dark it may be, no matter what we are going through, this is true. Jesus is alive. And so we will keep hoping. We will keep being faithful. We will keep trusting you. Lord, fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of faith. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.